A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series, The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. Welcome back to Wool Shift Dust, a Silo TV podcast. I'm Alicia. And I'm Luke. And we're inching closer and closer to the May 5th premiere. And more and more interviews and news items are getting released. Uh, stuff we think you guys are going to want to know. So we're going to give you a few more things to look out for in the first season and beyond. Yes, beyond. Luke, what kind of Silo news have you been seeing? Well, I, I've heard it described as a murder mystery in mm. um, several interviews, which means somebody is going to get deaded. Um, and <laughs> so that's, that, that was not what I was expecting from the trailer. I've seen several interviews with Common that gives you a much better sort of sense of Sims and his motivation and where okay. he fits into the, the hierarchy. The interviews have confirmed something I've been curious about since we started out, which is the total number of people in the silo. It's meant to be the last 10,000 members of humanity. Um, I mean, yeah, as far as I know, yeah. Yeah, which I, which is which is interesting and might be something we want to get into later on in the podcast because I, not maybe later on in the series, I meant because mm. I'm not sure that 10,000 people is actually enough to maintain a breeding population over more than a couple of generations without it becoming like really... Without it becoming sort of quite right. physically inbred, yeah. Right. Um, yeah, and, and I think, yeah, the number of generations is a question also that's raised in the series. How, how long have they been in there? Now, they've talked about this briefly in some of the interviews, too, um, that it's been a few generations. But, yeah. I think I saw in an re- interview with Rebecca Ferguson, she was saying she is the third generation that right. has been okay. sort of raised in the silo. Right. Okay, that's, yeah. She was specific then. Yep, you yeah. got her. <laughs> but then, yeah, of of course, and she raises the question, how did all this happen? And that's going to be a question that's going to be addressed much later in the series. <laughs> all right. So, yeah, we're going to be talking about all that in a moment. Uh, but first, before I bury the lead, the biggest news, uh, two pieces of biggest news, actually, is, well, first, it looks like the first season will actually only be covering about half of the first book, Wool. The book author, Hugh Howie, he said in an interview with SK Pop that the first season does not cover the whole first book, and book readers who look at the episode titles for the season will be able to figure out where this season is going to end in the story. Uh, But don't worry, because it's been unofficially confirmed by Variety and some, like, casual mentions by cast members in interviews that the second season is already filming so did you know about this luke and, and what do you I, I did i did know that the second series had been greenlit yeah. and i got the, the implication from a lot of the interviews that season one ends on something of a cliffhanger and yeah. also also like a number of people that have followed us as followed have followed the show on twitter hi guys mm-hmm. have also implied that it ends on like a really sort of shocking uh cliffhanger if it ends halfway through the first book how do you feel about that splitting the first book in two? Well, I, I I don't really know. I mean, like you said in the last podcast, it it 
sounds like quite a chunky doorstopper of a book. Um, mm. So I think it makes sense, particularly if you're spending the first couple of episodes introducing all the characters and introducing the world, you know, the plot main... Because there, there was also a very sort of cryptic review in, in a French magazine mm-hmm. that a Twitter follower of ours sent. And Google Translate is a miracle. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's one of society's great inventions. That described it as a very contemplative series, which the author seemed to think was somehow a disadvantage. I think, you know, great. Yeah. <laughs> Super. Um, I agree with you. Yeah, I think it's I I mean, one of the things I love about the series, it's there's there is this plot and this layering of mysteries. We're going to get into that, of course. But it is also about, you know, humanity and how humanity persists and how uh, people deal with positions they're put in. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think the interview, the several interviews I read with Common, a.k.a. Sims, he talks about Sims, you know, being in a moral dilemma of that he's carrying some kind of secret with him, but he thinks it's important to keep it secret for the good of the silo, the survival of the species. And Tim Robbins playing Bernard, actually, that was one of the most interesting interviews I read because we've talked about this on the previous two podcasts. I was sort of, I didn't really know what Bernard's motivation was. And again, Tim Robbins was very much making the point that, you know, from his point of view, he is the good guy, like you were saying in the last episode. And again, there is sort of this sense that he's carrying this great secret there is sort of a moral weight that he thinks he has to carry for yeah. the, the greater good of society yeah no it was so i think you're referring there to um there's this great series of interviews by bonnie uh Laufer, i think i'm going to pronounce her last name by bonnie oh, the, the, the lady from toronto yeah, she posted them on her YouTube channel. She made a playlist there if anyone else wants to watch them all themselves. Now, warnings for both the interviews themselves and uh, for our discussion of them here. There are going to be some minor world building details spoiled, but then again, we've already gotten into that. There's the one with Common where we talk about that. But the first interview, it's, it's with Rebecca Ferguson, our Juliet. And she talks especially about taking on the executive producer role, which she says she saw as a great opportunity to learn more about that side of the business uh, with the key bonus that it would guarantee her more control over the character in production and make sure she like felt good about the final product though yeah. she she gives Graham Yost full credit for running the show and like winning over the trust of the entire cast and crew but everyone else interviewed absolutely gushed about the role she played on set and in another interview with the YouTube channel Jake's Takes she said she actually pushed back on the first draft of the script she saw when she was first offered the role and um, they came back to her with changes and the producer role offer you know they're like okay we'll we're, let you have your input so I'm definitely the type who likes to be able to control the details so it's yet another reason why Rebecca Ferguson is so relatable what do you think Luke Are yeah you... I mean I, I mean I don't really have anything to add but yeah I thought that was really interesting the other thing she and several other actors talked about it was the physicality of the entire series so obviously we've seen from the two trailers that Juliet is involved in fight scenes and obviously there's a lot of manhandling equipment because she works as an engineer but also what i found really interesting because it implies that they really did build a lot of the silo as a physical set because several of them you know mentioned how tiring it was to be constantly going up and down stairs so it suggests that like the physical set is it's not obviously not going to be 144 levels but it's probably split over i don't know maybe half a dozen different levels and then we constantly see the we don't just see the characters in one room hard cut next room you actually see them implies you actually see them move from location to location and it reminded me of listening to Sigourney Weaver talk about Alien because Ridley Scott had the Nostromo built as a single set okay you didn't you didn't move between the rooms like all the the rooms were actually connected by corridors so when you saw them running from room to room they were actually doing that it was a single enclosed set and it sounds like this is very much the same yeah the yeah same th- deal. yeah they talked a lot in throughout the interviews about yeah just the immersiveness of the set detail uh, and i thought that was also i also read that about that there are 144 levels like the book but each level might be multiple floors and that it, they made sure each level was 
was 30 feet or like nine meters tall. So yeah, I thought that was an interesting way uh, to pack more in there because I did say I got the idea from the trailer that it was even bigger than I thought. So yeah, we get more of that like claustrophobia, more of that, you know, it's just, it's got to be a society big enough to sustain life for multiple generations, as you say. Yeah, and I just, I mean, I'm sure we'll get to this when we get the making of behind the scenes stuff. But I would be really interested to know where they actually filmed it, because there are only a couple of studios I can think of. Probably in the, if they filmed it in the UK, it's almost certainly Pinewood that are actually big enough, that are actually physically big enough to allow you to do that. And if they're doing that, that kind of implies that the series as a whole has like a, has like a movie budget behind it. So again, we talked about this in the last podcast. Apple are making series, are making a serious investment. Yeah. In the, in making a serious what? investment in this series. Yeah, they, I know they are filming in the UK, though. Yeah, you would know better about the studios there than I would. Yeah, so Pinewood is where they get a lot of the, the Harry Potter movies. So you oh, have right. in okay. the interiors for Hogwarts is what I'm thinking, which is about the sort of size you would need for what they're sort of... I think, I'm not... A, I'm just geeking out over production details. I was just looking into it, and I can't find anything about Pinewood specifically. They said filmed in London, so... Yeah, yeah it would it would have been Pinewood then. Yeah, probably. Okay, yeah, yeah but definitely gonna if anyone at home knows anything more about that we'd love to hear uh all about the yeah behind the scenes details yeah so okay so the next interview in that uh bonnie Lawfer playlist is was actually an interview with a character we haven't discussed yet so it's chinaza uche who plays paul billings now i'm not really familiar with the actor's work yet but i see he's been in a bunch of things i keep wanting to catch up on like uh, a good person the movie uh, dickinson and little america the tv shows on apple so i wonder if he has an apple con are you familiar with him at all, Luke? No, uh, no, I'm not. Uh, like you say, I'm, I'm very much in the same boat as you, Alicia. That's stuff I want to watch, but yeah. I haven't got around to yet. But yeah, the projects he's working on show promise. Yeah, he must be a quality actor. But the interesting thing is there is no Paul in the book. So I'm going to have to assume that the character he's playing is the character called Peter Billings in the book. Uh, you know, he's called Paul Billings on the show, Peter Billings in the book. Interesting and specific choice to change like one biblical P name for another. And like with the change that's small and specific, I have to wonder if it does have anything to do with and why would you do it? Are there biblical implications? Um, I'm not an expert in the Bible myself, uh, but this is something I'm definitely going to be thinking about going in. And if we have any Bible experts listening, please do share any insight you might have. Luke, you're not a Bible scholar. No, 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 unfortunately not. But I know people that are, so maybe if it turns out to be relevant, we can get a, yeah. get a guest on the podcast. But yeah, no, I have no idea why you would do that. All right, yeah, if anyone has any other theories about the Peter to Paul change. But anyway, Peter, Paul, whatever your name is, he's a mid-silo resident. Uh, in the book, he's a mid-level bureaucrat in Jiu He's uh, described as tall and imposing, and he has political leanings. Um, in the interview, the interviewer who's seen the whole season says Paul is, quote unquote, going through a lot. And Uche describes Paul as someone who wholeheartedly believes in something and thinks of himself as a good person, even when that becomes less clear to others. Uh, what did you make of this, Luke? What role are you expecting him to play? And what do you think he wholeheartedly believes in? I don't know what he wholeheartedly believes in. He was kind of funny of insinuating though that at some point the Paul's character and Juliet are going to come into are going to come into contact with each other so mm. I wonder whether he seemed to sort of again imply that he found something out that he knew that he, again that he knew something that he'd rather not know Okay. Yeah. Um, and so I wonder whether he's going to be a step on Juliet finding out about, you know, the wider sort of conspiracy that's clearly that they seem to be setting up here. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. Fun fact we learned in the interview, uh, his wife and kids in the series are played by his real life family. I thought that was so adorable. I was yeah. like, oh, bless including his twin infants yeah <laughs> so that's going to add some extra depth while watching i think at least for me yeah so uh next up we meet another actor whose character we haven't discussed yet we've had harriet walter who plays martha walker now i have to say i am very familiar with harriet walter's work she's been in everything for decades including downton abbey killing eve ted lasso succession she popped up on doctor who just to name like a paltry few how familiar are you luke are you a fan um a little bit i a little bit I'm not that extensive I've seen her in Succession she is Logan Roy's she's Logan Roy's ex-wife ex yeah. and Kendall and Ro Kendall Roman and Sheaves Sheaves a uh, mother a yeah. mother yeah, yeah. um 
from the interview, is she, are we meant to understand that she is the woman in the hospital bed that we saw in the, the second trailer? I don't know whether that was something I just read into it or whether that's what we were meant to take away from what she was um, saying. I don't, it doesn't look like her. Yeah, no, that, that's what I thought. What made you think that? Like Because, because she's, she's talking about being sort of in the lower levels of the silo. She's talking about sort of being isolated. But the lower levels of the silo, so the hospital would uh, would not be in the lower levels because it's not accessible. So uh, the lower levels of the silo are mechanic. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, and she's sort of talking about that the basically Juliet is the only person that, that takes any kind of interest in her and that she's been sent to the lower levels for some sort of past infractions. Well, I don't know about... behavior. Yeah, she didn't say sent. She said um, how she ended up there. Ah, okay. Yeah. But okay, so she I was excited to see her pop up in the cast here, especially for this role, which does also have one change from the book. In the book, Walker is a man. He's someone who's been working in mechanical for decades and someone who Juliet looks up to. So in the books, he was sort of like a fatherly mentor to Juliet. And now we're getting like a motherly mentor instead. An article in SFX magazine we're going to discuss later said they wanted Juliet to have a mother figure in her life, Uh, though Walter said she and Ferguson were as much sisters as mother daughter. And honestly, a female Walker works just fine for me i think it might even add another layer to their interactions what do you think luke are you bothered by gender swapping no not particularly i did just just going back to the tim robbins interview for a second Mm -hmm. it did kind of throw me that that they kept constantly referring to him as bernard from it and you know as an ex-westworld as not an ex as a westworld fan i just bernard from it that's jeffrey wright yeah i know that's what it takes some getting used to yeah yeah, I think, did I read the books before I saw Westworld? I, yeah, I don't know. I need to look at the dates. But <laughs> okay, so next up we had uh, in the interview playlist was Avi Nash, who plays Lucas Kyle. Now, we already mentioned him in previous episodes uh, after we got a glimpse of him in the teaser, standing in the cafeteria with Juliet looking at something. <laughs> but the biggest take away from the interview that we saw in this series was that the character is very curious. He has heart and hope, and that Hugh Howey called this character in the books the closest stand-in for himself. What do you make of this, Luke? Yeah, I mean, I always I always find um, author self-inserts really interesting because it clearly tells you a lot about how the author would like themselves to be seen or what the author thinks are their sort of outstanding sort of character traits. So I, yeah. I, think, I think that's going to be interesting. Um, I do wonder kind of what Lucas's relationship with Juliet is going to be because they didn't address it directly, but I got mm-hmm. the sense that they were kind of, and you see this from the trailer as well, they were kind of talking around that there might be a kind of romantic, entanglement there okay for want of a better way to put it so that's that's something i was interested in okay yeah mm-hmm. yeah uh all right so the the actor uh nash he's best known for playing sadiq in the walking dead i uh, know that character didn't show up until season eight which is basically when i stopped watching but i did see his introduction um what about you luke Did, are you a walking dead fan? no i um i tapped out of the walking dead really early on like i stopped liking the walking dead before it was cool <laughs> stop liking The Walking Dead. So no, I I tapped out well before season eight. I'm glad I watched as much as I did, but that I'm also not like regretting that I checked out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but in any case, so I didn't see much of Sadiq. I I think he's a different kind of character than Lucas. So it's my initial impression anyway of Sadiq. But what do you think of these three new characters? We in general, Luke, do they change uh, your expectations for the series? No, they they don't change my expectations. But I think. It sort of opened up a wider world and this this is maybe not going to be a show that is like laser focused all the time on Juliet and Holston. There are this bigger cast of characters that they're going to interact with. I was kind of disappointed we didn't get an Ian Glenn um, interview because I'd have been interested to know more about his character. Yeah. Um, I saw one interview with him, but it was uh, mostly talking about another movie. I I think it was like a German movie or something. But anyway, and he just briefly mentioned he kind of confirmed that they're filming the second season of Silo. So, uh, okay, well, at least we know that character makes it as far as season two, Mm, um, which is something. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
Okay, so, yeah, but then toward the end of the interview set, we get Common, who plays Sims from IT. So we've already kind of talked about, we talked about this character a lot before, and we talked a bit about this interview. But the part of the interview that jumped out to me was like where the interview asks if Sims is a bad guy, uh, which is something we've been mulling over. And Common says, he's a human being who cares for the well-being of the silo, cares for his family. He's doing his job. So that's basically what you were referring to earlier, right, Luke? Yeah, it's sort of, it was sort of a very short nuanced answer and it sort of goes back to the idea that the IT department is going to be the sort of principal antagonist here and actually I I can't remember whether it was in this interview or one of the ones I read but he was also making the point that the IT department is really it is the critical department within sort of the society of the silo sort of if IT you know if the IT system fails for any reason then the silo as an environment fails and I guess that's because you know you've got computers control doing the environmental controls but I I think it was I think both Common and Tim Robbins made the point that that puts a lot of pressure on their characters because they're like this the single point of failure in the entire system for the silo you know like Mm. other departments like agriculture or they seem to be saying other departments I think the the biggest most uh, devastating potential for failure would be Juliet's department mechanical okay okay because then it's like the difference between, you know, losing your internet and like losing your electricity. Your, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So and we. And also, I hadn't, I hadn't seen Common interviewed very much about anything. And he's just an effortlessly charming, laid back mm. guy. I could just, I could listen to him talk all day. He just, and he seemed, I mean, I think all of them seemed really enthused yeah. by this project. Now, I guess when you're giving those kind of interviews, you have to sound enthused by what you're doing. But I think but, they sounded more excited than they needed to. Yeah, yeah, I definitely got that impression. So I, th- I think that I think the, 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 they sounded like people who were pleased, proud of, understood that they'd done a good job putting this series together, which makes me look forward to next Friday even more, frankly. Yeah, they they seem excited to let people see what they've been up to. So, and it gives me, we haven't really seen the cast interact yet, but the way they speak about each other makes it seem like there's probably some good chemistry. Mm. And yeah, like you said earlier, they all seem to, you know, Rebecca Ferguson sort of, they all talk a lot about her sort of keeping morale up on set and sort of being sort of guiding the whole process, which is interesting because like, you know, obviously, and Rebecca Ferguson talks about this in the interview, you know, how she had to divide up time between the the on-screen stuff and the off-screen stuff. As you're saying, you know, she's doing a lot of training, she's working for a long time on getting Juliet's accent right. Right. Um, Right, because Rebecca Ferguson is, uh, is Swedish. Yeah. No. Which is which is interesting because are we kind of assuming that the silo is a North American? They uh, speak with American accents. accents. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. For whatever reason, they speak with American accents. Okay. For this Bonnie uh, Lawford series, we end on an interview with showrunner Graham Yost and book author Hugh Howie together. And I like how Yost described what drew him to the story. He said, it's a big, big mystery that you peel back one layer at a time. And each time you get an answer, you get three more questions. I also found it interesting when Howie said we're going to, uh, he said we're trained to stop believing the news when all we get is bad news. Do you think that's true, Luke? Yeah, I mean, I was sort of, I sort of took that from the point of view of, you know, if you're only exposed to one point of view, if you do that long enough, you stop listening to alternatives, you stop looking for mm-hmm. alternative for alternative explanations. I've got to say, the the Graham Yost line about uh, we answer one question and it creates three more. I got to say that made me that made me a little bit nervous because. Really? Okay. Because way back in the day, you know, as, as I was starting out on my, you know, nerdish journey of discovery, I was a huge fan of Lost. Mm-hmm. Huge right. fan of Lost. And that had very much the same sort of thing. And it's okay answering one question and creating three more to begin with. But at some point, if the if the series as a whole is going to be satisfying, you need to actually be able to provide satisfying answers to all those yeah. questions. Otherwise, you just, you get, I don't know about you, but I don't like series that end with, oh, you know, you've got to fill in the blanks, you've got to tie it up in your own head. It's like, no, that's just bad writing. You are in charge of the series, and I want it to finish in a way that is, I'm not saying you have to answer every single question, but I want it to finish in a way that's satisfying. I don't want it to leave a lot of loose ends. Yeah. And I mean, well, that, that, that's just me, but I I prefer I prefer shows 
that at the end, you know, have answered most of the questions they set out with. Right. I mean, in the May issue of SFX magazine, it was um, reassuring to see in that article that at the end, Yost is quoted as saying he has roughly four seasons in mind for telling the story of three books. So that'd be, I mean, I guess that would be then the first book in two seasons and the next books in one season each. Uh, or maybe they'll start filtering in some of the prequel stuff next season. Uh, it's hard to say now. Uh, but I, he said, even though some of the writers, quote unquote, joke about going on beyond that, Yost seems to agree that it's important a mystery have an ending. So I personally found that reassuring. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, th- I think from reading interviews with Hugh Howie, even though there is the possibility of a fourth book, it, it doesn't sound like we're in a Game of Thrones situation where if you don't get the next two books, you know, the story won't have completed. It feels like he's got potential for a fourth book. But if it ended up that it was just a three book series, they would have bought it to, in his mind, a satisfying end point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, the the third book definitely comes to a satisfying endpoint, but also definitely, you know, there's an intriguing story to be told beyond that. So either way, it, we should be good. Yeah, so some of the other points from that SFX article is, yeah, they revealed some plot details I won't get too into for spoiler reasons. But um, as you brought up earlier, it sounds like they're taking an element from Juliet's backstory and bringing it to the front so that we open with her looking into a death in the silo. Apparently that's going to be... Uh, a major story driving her character throughout the season, which I'm thinking, yeah, that's a way to introduce her earlier, because like I said in the book, uh, she's not one of the first characters you meet. You don't meet her for a while. So I'm guessing this might, yeah. So this is- the, so in the book, this idea of a murder mystery is sort of downplayed, is not, is not so much of a major plot point? It's more, yeah, exactly. Yep, that's how, and, and it's something that you don't really get to find out much about until you get to know Juliet. So uh, yeah, it sounds like they're pulling it forward. What do you think about that setup? Are you intrigued by that storyline? Um, I mean, yeah, the the idea, I think it's probably a good idea to have like an inciting event to make that would motivate Juliet to look deeper into the mystery of what's going on in the silo, who built it and why. I think to have a, to have a personal angle to that rather than just, you know, waking up one morning and being overly curious uh, makes sense. Right. I mean, when I was reading one of the reviews, it didn't flat out say this, but it kind of implied that the, the, the person who was killed is a member of Juliet's family. Um, well, no. Yeah. So she maybe has lost a couple people in her life. Okay. Yeah. Okay. We'll, 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 we'll leave it there, we'll leave it there and move on. <laughs> um, oh yeah, so the article also teases a lot of the specific rules of the world, which would seem a bit odd to us outsiders. Like, for example, why has nobody built an elevator in this silo? Uh, they they have the technology, you know, they have electricity and, and machinery. But yeah, these are things that we'll dig into more as the episodes start airing. I did think one, I did think one of the rules that was interesting and that made a lot of sense is that it has very strict population control. So yeah. people people have to like apply to the authorities to have ch- for permission to have children yeah which, so, which makes sense because you've got yeah. literally you've got a limited amount of space yeah we alluded to that in the in the first episode that we did but yeah uh, they'll get more into the roles but indeed one of the things is a a birth you know a birthing lottery you have to get a signs like a window <laughs> in which you can try to have a baby in the book that's one year um and then if you don't then uh Tough luck. Next person's term. Oof, harsh. Yeah. <laughs> really harsh. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so they talked also in the articles, also in the interviews, uh, video interviews, they talked more about the immersive detail of the set. So it really makes me hope that one day they'll open the set for tours or something. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, if, if they do, you have to pop over to London. And yeah. I have to pop down from Scotland and we can, yeah. we can do a vlog or something. Yeah, exactly. And it also makes me excited just imagining like how immersive that must have been for them. Like they talked a lot of them, all of the cast members about how difficult it is to imagine, you know, growing up in a world where you're never step foot outside. Although who was it? I think Avinash was maybe the one who was like, it would be like imagining living in the sky, you know, and, and we just we don't live in the sky. We can't imagine it, you know, and that's what it's like being yeah. in the silo and outside the silo, um, which I thought was a cool way to put it. Uh, Luke, have you imagined growing up in the silo 
Uh, no, but uh, not not before I watched his interviews. But yeah, <laughs> it's an interesting sort of thought experiment of you know what would you do if if you couldn't go outside for the the interviews we're we're talking about. The host kept sort of trying to draw parallels with covid and lockdown mm. and you know those parallels only go so far because of course you could go outside right outside during lockdown so i think it's interesting that it's coming out now and i wonder i wonder if it's been been rewritten to sort of reflect on the experience of covid at all i kind of hope that it I hasn't that. i don't think it's necessary yeah yeah um so, like I said, I read a French review that uh, one of our Twitter followers was kind enough to point out way. And it sort of talked about the show really taking its time to build the world. And, you know, it goes into some detail about how the society functions. And it, it seemed like you actually spend a couple of episodes just sort of wandering around the silo and getting acquainted with the world before the plot even really kicks in. Which is yeah. which is fine which is fine by me but yeah so yeah I, I would love that yeah I mean I think that's that's one of the first things that they need to do is but I do think in the book they manage to do both at the same time where you know they use the plot to drive the exposition of the world building so I'm hoping and assuming it's going to be the same in the show okay yeah um and, and so beyond what we've already been discussing the reviews are beginning to roll in from uh, both the screening they had of the first episode at the Cannes festival in France and also from people like Bonnie Lawfer we already discussed and other people have been able to watch the entire season uh, and the reviews so far that I've seen are all glowing. Luke what about you I, where's your hype level at now? My hype level is fairly high I actually sort of in preparation for this podcast I did sort of try to look to see if there were more reviews than the one from that the festival you just mentioned but I couldn't really find any full-blown reviews there's a lot of hints and winks and nods so I mean, actually, I, this is not unusual, but like I think the the production team are doing quite a good job of keeping of keeping things under wraps before the first two episodes drop on Friday in less than a week. Now we're recording this on yeah. on April twenty third. So yeah, I'm yeah. I'm hyped. I mean, yeah, I would say I'm at maximum hype. So it's good to hear excitement from someone who hasn't read the books as well. And so Luke, any other last thoughts or theories before we go? Any last thoughts? Like I say, I'd like to know more about Ian Glenn's character. Mm -hmm. I, I couldn't really find any interviews with him about this. I think this is something we can come back to in later podcasts. But I think the the fact that the, the total population of the silo is 10,000 is interesting. Because I wonder if that has something to do with the secret that Bernard and Sims are keeping. And whether there is like a, whether there is a clock on the survivability of the silo mm. as a society. Okay, yeah. Um, so I, I may be totally wrong there. But no. I thought, I thought 10,000 was was an interesting number because I don't know much about genetics. I seem to remember years ago when I was on the forums for the remake of Battlestar Galactica, somebody pointed out that the idea of having like 40,000 survivors was actually quite clever because that that is the minimum number of people you would need for, for sort of healthy breeding stock okay. long term. Now, I, I don't know whether that person knew what they were talking about it sounded convincing when i was reading the message board back in the day and it always sort of stuck with me as an interesting number so i think the fact that the population is below that might be interesting mm -hmm. okay yeah that's definitely something else to track i will say that um the people who designed this silo did think through a, a lot of the logistics so it'll be i can't wait to see all of that come to life on screen and also you know wh what they might tweak and change uh with what we know from the book now before we go credit again to silo tv fans aka at silo 17 squad on twitter uh, the best silo accounts on twitter definitely thank you for bringing many of these interviews and news items to our attention and and also rebecca ferguson webb at our ferguson webb um on twitter as well and as for us, I'm Alicia Brenner, and you can find me on Twitter at AliciaCB and uh, popping up to talk Star Wars, Marvel, and other geekery on podcasts like The Lorehounds and Nom Talk Network. And Luke? I'm Luke Middip, and you can find me on Twitter at Luke Middip. 
And thank you for joining us for Wool Shift Dust, a Silo TV podcast. We'll be back in your ears Monday, May 8th to break down the first two episodes premiering on Apple TV Plus May 5th to talk non-spoiler book changes and check in on Luke's Theory Crafting Corner. Um, Now, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts to make sure you don't miss it. And if you've enjoyed this episode, a five-star rating on your podcasting platform of choice will really help us stand out among all the podcasts called Silo that aren't related to this TV show until May 5th, when we'll be waiting to talk it through like your motherly mentors down in Mechanical. (laughs) Bye. Fake out ending. Basically, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> basically, since we recorded the first bit you just listened to, and between that and me finishing the editing, a new trailer has dropped. And uh, we've got the third official trailer from Apple, which is interspersed with some interviews with stars. And Luke, there was an extended trailer cut together by the site moviegasm.com uh, with some new footage you wanted to talk about too, right? Yeah, it's it's the second trailer, but just with a little bit with Holston walking through the, the silo, yeah. at, walking through the silo at night, walking through what I assume is the cafeteria yeah. to a room to a room mark holding three. Yeah, so that comes from a, a video that that trailer was released by Apple TV on Twitter. And we got an extended view in there of uh, Holston indeed walking through like the stairwell and the cafeteria and what I assume is his office. And then we see also uh, the holding cells, which there's like multiple in the this, you know, video. Uh, but in the book, they only refer to one. But I guess 10,000 people it makes sense. There's multiple, right? Yeah, you would, you would think so. By the way, I did the, ma- I did the maths on this because I was curious. Mm -hmm. 10,000 people divided by 144 levels is 64.7 people per level. Uh, Okay. So I'm assuming... But but remember that they also said that the levels are divided into like different... Or the stories are divided into different levels or whatever. Anyway, there's several stories within a level. Yeah. Okay. And I'm I'm assuming as well, like the hydroponics... The, the agricultural levels and the mechanical levels would not have people living in them and that they would take up more space. So I'm assuming the actual like density of population is a lot higher than that because you would have certain levels where people wouldn't actually be living. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say most levels do have residents. But anyway, I was just curious. Yeah, so I yeah. sat down and did the maths. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, indeed. Well, we're going to see what it looks like. I can't wait. Um, I've been reading a lot of the reviews and uh, well, we'll get to that in a minute. So, yeah. So that was the extended video in Apple. And we're going to get into the other trailer briefly. But before that, uh, I just want to make a quick correction. In a previous trailer, I speculated on who the actress was who was like huddled up with the deputy Marnes watching the cleaning. And I speculated incorrectly. Uh, the actress we see there is actually Geraldine James, who plays Mayor Jane Jeans, uh, who, yeah, J-A-H-N-S, we'll see how they pronounce it in the show, <laughs> Johns maybe, uh, which makes a lot of sense anyway that we see her with the deputy watching the cleaning. And I also noticed in my latest rewatches of the previous trailers that it's actually John and Marnes we see at one point visiting babies in the shot of the nursery we get in the last trailer. So nothing surprising there, but um, those are scenes we can look forward to seeing play out. And we also got a bit of fun news the silo book series as in like the physical books themselves or at least like nanofiche of them uh, is going to the moon they're going to be included in the lunar codex polaris time capsule which will be launching on a spacex falcon heavy as part of like the november 2024 astrobiotic griffin nasa viper mission uh, which is going to be targeting the lunar south pole and um, the lunar codex is an ongoing mission Mm. to create an archive of books and art and other media uh, i guess in case we blow ourselves up or you know whatever we do <laughs> luke if you could send reading material to the martians would it be dystopian science fiction well yeah apart from the uh, the literary tour de force that is the powell doctrine and u.s foreign policy available at all good bookshops and <laughs> stockists just for context sorry that was the book i wrote the first book i wrote so i'm just um i'm just a little bit worried that if we send dystopian science fiction and aliens pick that up are they going to assume that's how we wipe ourselves out yeah, it could be it could be very confusing for the aliens involved. I mean, I'm not going to spoil anything about the end game of this story, but it, I mean, Tim Robbins keeps going around in interviews talking about how this is a warning for us. So yeah, I've watched several interviews with Tim Robbins, yeah. and he is he is walking a fine line. Um, yeah. to major spoilers. Also, his views on the uh, the COVID lockdown. I'm not going to go into this except to say, yikes. 
What did he say about COVID lockdown? Remind oh, me. basically that this was, I think it was on the interview he did with Screen Rant, you know, basically saying, yeah. you know, the lockdown was a mistake. It's kind of, we shouldn't have done it. Oh, uh, okay. I didn't read that into of, it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, not yeah. Just not not gonna go into the politics. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, all right, yeah, well, that's something to keep an eye on. But it's interesting, yeah, how we how much the COVID and the lockdown comes up when talking yeah. about this series. And of course, this whole series was written before that. But I guess that's like the nearest approximation we've gotten yeah. as to what it would be like to grow up in a silo. Yeah. Also, Tim Robbins said something said something else in that interview about the silo existing for three hundred years. Which is much longer than... The, three generations? Which, yeah, which is much longer than three generations. So clearly the silo seems to have existed for longer than some of the characters are aware of. Mm. And it took this sort of talk of a relic. Yeah. Um, yeah, so so clearly the, the true history of the silo and possibly why it exists is being suppressed or being rewritten. This is very plausible. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I was going to talk about the relics indeed that um, they mention in the trailer we're about to talk about that there are these illegal relics uh, from the before times and we'll see what that means. But yeah, so in the trailer, I'm not going to repeat the stuff that's basically extended versions of what we've already seen, but we do get a much better look at the stairwell, which looks pretty awesome. Um, someone who worked as an extra on the set was talking about it on the official site silo series fan group on facebook and they said basically it's every bit as cool as it looks on screen um and rebecca ferguson uh, aka juliet she confirms that we're talking about 10,000 people across 144 quote-unquote floors uh so if you listen to the last episode you know what we mean by that we talked about it a little bit here um and she also says something new she says there is a threat outside and we don't know what that threat is and the characters ask the dangerous question of why uh luke what do you make of that yeah, I mean, that doesn't really tell us much that we don't know mm. by the previous trailers. Okay. I, I did think the sort of the, it, this just sort of reinforces the idea that, that what happened to the outside is, is completely unknown to, shall we say, the vast majority of people mm. in the silo, possibly, possibly everybody in the, in the silo. And, mm-hmm. you know, obviously if pe- people die every time they go out for a cleaning, uh, to, you know, clean, uh, clean the, the window so people can see outside, obviously whatever happened is incredibly serious. But I, I do sort of think that the, the, one thing that that little snippet of interview confirmed was that the like I say the vast majority or possibly all of the people in the silo don't know what happened to the outside world really don't have the first clue what happened mm. okay yeah I mean, yeah, Morton Tilden, the director, he does call the show a mystery at, at its core. And he says it, quote, deals with what the truth is, who owns the truth and who's telling the truth. Uh, does that make your political senses tingle? It does. It does. Another thing that makes my political um, senses tingle is I was watching an interview with Graham Yost and Hugh Howie. And Graham Yost compared it to all the president's men in terms of it unfolds quite slowly and it's mysteries. It's mysteries within mysteries. So, okay, yeah, yeah um, a sci fi version of all the president's men. I'm definitely down for that. Yeah. OK. Ferguson and Graham Yost, the showrunner, described Juliet as driven to be constantly seeking the truth. Does that mesh with what you're expecting from her? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I actually don't know if that's how I describe Juliet at the start of the books, though it's definitely what she becomes. Um, at the start, though, it feels like she's kind of like hiding in the basement. But it seems in the show they're giving her more agency from the get go and playing up that mysterious death element we've discussed before, which I don't mind at all. Like you've already got Walker, her mentor, playing the quote unquote hiding in the basement role. But I do wonder if this could be what Rebecca Ferguson talked about changing when she got the original script before uh, accepting the job. Yeah, I, I just wonder whether that's like a TV thing of basically making the plot start a little bit quicker, mm. um, because because you know you can you can read 100, 150 pages into a book and it's just world building and scene setting, 
but with TV, you have less time. It's not designed to be sort of put down and come back to. So TV, rather like movies, you have to start the plot a little bit sooner. You have to engage the audience a bit quicker. And I wonder if sort of giving Juliet more agency is A, to make her character and her motivation a little easier for a novice audience to follow, but B, just as a way of making things move a little bit quicker. Yeah. Well, one thing I found out from reading a lot of the reviews is that actually uh, we shouldn't expect Julia to show up until episode two, which is still, you know, relatively fast. But I thought she might show up earlier just because TV, but it makes sense with the books that they give the first part of the story a chance to shine. Do you mind, Luke, if the star doesn't show up until the second episode? No, it's not like, like from the the trailers and what have you that we don't know that Rebecca Ferguson is in this show. So right, it's, right. it's not as though they've, they've buried the lead. Um, right. So... Yeah, no, I think I think that makes sense. I'm just trying to think: are there any other examples of like the main character showing the main up character later? not showing up till a couple of episodes in? Um, I, I feel like the, a similar example would be, for instance, uh, the Sandman series that came out on Netflix this year. Oh, I, I still haven't, I haven't seen yeah. that. I mean, it's, I mean, it's not that the character main character doesn't show up, but he's basically, I don't want to spoil anything, but he's basically immediately sidelined for a while. Okay. Um, and he definitely like shares a spotlight. And I hear also a lot from the interviews, this is very much an ensemble story, which is true of the books, but it sounds like they might have even beef that up a little more yeah did did you see the it's only like a one minute scene that rotten tomatoes put out with rashida jones in what i assume to be it looking at some drive that they yeah 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 we'll get to that in a bit if you're going through this uh chronology. oh no i wasn't going to bring it up because we saw bits of that um in previous mm-hmm. trailers but now indeed this time we saw we saw them actually like looking at files, um, which yeah. is we just basically see nested files unless you picked up anything from well, it. Well, no, ex- except that the the thing that I found interesting was that there's a sort of before and after times within the silo that there was some mm. sort there was some sort of rebellion, some sort of like some sort of uprising, yeah. and exactly what happened there and exactly what caused it and what the results of that are. There seems to be some conscious effort on the part of the authorities to rewrite or suppress history. Uh, Yes. I mean, there's certainly, um, they refer to a rebellion. And uh, yeah, we hear a lot in these interviews and, and, you know, the teases we get in the trailers that this story is a question of the truth. And yeah, as Tim Robbins said, who controls the truth or did Common say that? Sorry. (laughs) I think think they both say. They both say. Yeah. Yeah, so indeed, you're, you're, I can say you're, you know, pushing in the right direction. There's the questions yeah. of also, also, what's it's reality. Mm. Also, it's entirely natural, but I did, I did like the use of clean as a verb. Yeah, it's entirely natural that that would happen, but I, did, I just thought that was cool. And the, I don't know who the actor is, but the look on his face when Rashida Jones' character says that and the way he reacts to it, it's mm. really well done because you, you get a sense of the horror of what that means which is you know a slow unpleasant death right 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 i mean all they know is when people go outside they're gone they're dead to the silo yeah yeah and so also what julia says later about uh digging into the truth creating a domino effect that certainly tracks uh and then we get our mystery hospital woman again Uh, i tried to do face and voice side by side and i don't think it's mayor johns but apparently face matching at least isn't my strongest forte so (laughs) we'll have to see how that plays out in the episode is that a new character for the tv show then no, M- Mayor Johns? No, 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 no. No, no, no. Uh, the, the, oh. the, woman, the woman in the hospital. I mean, I haven't been able to ID who it is. So, okay, but there's, yeah. there's, not, there's not somebody in the book that you go, oh, that's the woman in the hospital. Well, that's you already know. I mean, you know there's an important character named Dr. Nichols. Um, and, yeah, yep. certainly you see him treat patients. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, she says they want to erase the past and anyone who tries to preserve it. How does that fit into your theory crafting corner? What sort of strikes me here is this is if you want a real world, you know, sort of analogy to this is very much what the the CCP, the Communist Party of China do in regards to the events of Tiananmen Square in 1989. Okay. And that sort of very, very 
systematic effort to, to sort of block all knowledge in mainland China of what happened yeah. and of what happened and why it happened. And obviously the silo on its face should, it should be an environment where it's much easier to control information, to fewer people, smaller space. And there's no, it's a closed ecosystem as far as information goes. There's, as far as we know, there is no other silo, no other country, no other people to interact with. So it's much more of a closed system than you would have than you would ever find in the real world. Mm, yeah, I think if they're making a point about about the the sheer difficulty of erasing the past, that's going to be really interesting. Okay, noted. Quick aside, I I love that we get Halston looking puzzled over a Pez dispenser when they talk about illegal relics of the past. Just imagine <laughs> like a Pez dispenser out of context would trigger many questions. <laughs> yeah. You know what? That face is. That face is the Bernard from Westworld face. It's the. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's the. I've lost. I, I had my keys this morning and I can't <laughs> find them. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's interesting uh, that I've been picking up from reading, you know, these reviews and listening to the interviews is that Common, for instance, he refers to his character. I called him the head of IT security because that's his title in the books. But uh, he calls himself the head of judicial security and judicial in the books is just kind of like. Like you get a throwaway reference um, when talking about Peter, now Paul Billings. And now it seems like in the interviews, it seems to play a bigger role in this series uh, where, you know, it's not just about our protagonists versus IT, but also judicials in the mix. What do you I have some theories about, you know, why they're doing that and where that might lead. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if it's judicial security. That presumably means that he's going to have a lot of he's going to have quite a significant relationship with Holston as the sheriff, because Mm. you've sort of got the two sides of law enforcement there, the sort of coercive police power and the the judicial power. So that kind of, I would assume, sets up quite a close relationship with with Holston. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, and there's other, I think, that, yeah, we'll see other connections play out a little bit differently, too. And also maybe like the power dynamic within the silo slightly, maybe more tri- triangulated. I don't know. We'll yeah, see. maybe. And I'd like to point out later in the trailer, Common also says the wool is being pulled over the people's eyes, which is what I said in the first episode was in addition to the wool they use for the cleanings. I thought that this was probably this idiom was a source of the first book in the Silo series title. Yeah. When when he said that, I just imagined you, you know, Leo yeah. point, Illy should Leo pointing. <laughs> I'm definitely taking it as confirmation. Yeah. That's fact. Hashtag yeah. fact. Yeah. <laughs> One other thing we get in the trailer is Holston and Juliet exploring somewhere deep down. He asks what this place is, and Juliet theorizes it's from before the rebellion. And then they cut to a giant machine in a pit, which we've seen glimpses of before. And Juliet says, this makes me realize how little we know about the silo. And Holston looks around baffled. Uh, Luke, what do you think this place is? Yeah, so I took it from that that there was a point in the past where the silo was much bigger than it is in the present day okay um so i took that to be maybe the lower maybe what we're seeing in the silo now is the upper half or the upper quarter of what used to exist yeah and my guess is my complete guess is that the the rebellion was in that lower part of the silo and sort of the punishment the punishment when that rebellion was defeated was to have that part of the silo sort of locked off okay. walled off a little bit like what happens in Kansas City in The Last of Us where they sort of bury right. the infected underground yeah. that was kind of my read of that Okay, okay. And beyond that, yeah, we get more shots of the themes we've seen before. Conflict, Juliet in the water, someone going outside in the cleaning suit, etc. And then beyond the trailers, with review embargo up, as I've said, we've gotten a lot of review drops, pretty much universally positive, with people calling it, quote unquote, wildly unpredictable, which ironically is exactly what I predicted. Um, <laughs> though some people don't have patience for the political side of things in the middle, it seems. Um, I'm hoping that tracks with the books, which would mean there's like, a nice balance between the action and the intrigue. Now, curiously, a lot of reviewers are saying this is really for hard sci-fi fans, where I generally think of it more as like a political thriller with sci-fi elements. Luke, does this hard sci-fi label, does that affect your expectations at all? What yeah, would you I mean, I, I, mean I, I think what people can mean by hard sci-fi is, is very yeah. much sort of open to personal interpretation. So, right. I mean, the way I understand the term hard sci-fi is that the 
the, there is an explanation of how things work. Mm. So the distinction I always come back to is the ships in Battlestar Galactica can travel faster than light, but it's never explained. Whereas you can literally go out and look at a design schematic of the Starship Enterprise. So it yeah. literally it tries to explain how things in the world work right. rather than just asking the audience to take on faith that it does work. I enjoy hard sci-fi. I enjoy the softer sci-fi. I think so long as you set out in the first episode what the rules of engagement are for the audience... Mm-hmm. And as long as you stick to those rules of engagement, right? Um, looking at you, Star Trek Picard, called uh, <laughs> out. Yeah, I don't think there's an issue. So yeah, I mean that—that's my understanding of the difference between hard and soft sci-fi. But yeah. it seems to mean different things to different people, to be honest. Yeah, I also get a sense that the reviews that are saying this are coming from people who are like less interested in genre fiction in general. Like they're complaining about things like the silo having its own lingo, like the up top and the down deep to talk about the different sections of the silo. What's your professional opinion, Luke? Is it yeah, silly but, or realistic no, that they develop? If, if you're going to yeah. have a society that has existed for, well, let's just say multiple generations, because there seems to be some dispute about how old the silo actually is right then of course it's going to develop its own language its own its own social mores its own way of describing things so that 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 to me i think that's a really good sign because i think it means that the writers have actually thought about in some detail what living in this environment would do to people would do to people's perceptions of the world and perceptions of each other and like yeah as, as long as it's not as long as it's not too much of it and as long as it's easy to follow what was said in context I have no problem yeah, yeah but uh, genre fiction fans seem to especially love the show I have to shout out Junitan It's Conan on Twitter who's seen the whole series and after tweeting out that Silo was quote one of the best sci-fi series since The Expanse and the closest thing to a universal crowd pleaser since Lost uh, he told me that as soon as he finished the show he ran out bought the books read them and then rewatched the series again <laughs> okay and then he said and i quote the series captures the sense of wonder the books have and the changes never feel excessive on a narrative level it's up there with the lord of the rings in terms of how the, to adapt material with grace so well, I, I, I mean that that is high praise that is high praise indeed yeah yeah that, that is setting the bar really high yeah, I'm trying not to get overhyped, but it's hard. So where were we? Yeah. So there was also an interview with Tim Robbins on You Interview, the channel on YouTube, where he talks about the responsibility of being the head of IT, uh, running the computer systems that will help keep the whole silo running. And he says he's always been curious about people in positions of power who have to make decisions, air quotes, for the greater good that may compromise their own morals. And uh, how long someone can keep that up before getting caught and what that does to their soul. Uh, Robin says he doesn't know if that makes uh, Bernard a good guy or a bad guy, but he loves the challenge of the character's complexities. Now, Luke, you've had strong opinions about your perceptions of this character so far. Uh, So temperature check. How are you feeling about Bernard? I mean, I'm I'm feeling a little bit better about him now that I've heard those interviews with Tim Robbins. Mm Mm-hmm. There is still, like, just the way he delivers lines. You know, it makes your spidey senses tingle. That this, this is a bad guy. This is an antagonist. But I think that has probably something to do with putting the trailers together and wanting, you know, wanting to let a potential audience know a little bit about the world in, in a short space of time. So I guess you can't be that subtle when you're putting trailers together. So it's probably sort of picking the moments that most clearly communicates what you want the audience to know about that character. All right. There are other interviews with other cast members out there for anyone who wants more. Um, I especially recommend looking up the Jonathan Bloomberg interviews with the creators and a few cast members on YouTube. There you'll hear some more production details, like how Pippa Broadhurst, who handled a lot of the visual production details, wrote 20 pages of The Pact, which is that system of rules you asked about before, Luke. So she wrote like the first 20 pages so that uh, any one time they use it as a prop on set, you would open it and you can read it and it actually says something meaningful. <laughs> I'm sort of starting to think whether whether over the course of the entire um, series, whether these will be like the Ferengi rules of acquisition, where they just kept adding more and more of them as Deep Space Nine went along. Mm. Um, and like you can go on YouTube and see like the supercuts of like the, the 109 rules of acquisition <laughs> that they quote throughout the series. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, 
the the pack thing is interesting. And like you hear you hear Holston and you hear Bernard give I think we mentioned this earlier in the episode or possibly in the previous episode, you hear them give that same speech about you know, we don't know who built Silo right. or why we only know the here is safe kind right. of thing. And the more I sort of look at the trailers, the more that sort of strikes me as like a, a mantra or a sort of a mm. prayer almost. Well, they do repeat it in every trailer, which is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Now, another thing we, from one of the interviews is Common. He said uh, something interesting at the premiere in an inter- interview on the Screen Slam channel, uh, that this is a society that has no use for racism or sexism, but classism runs rampant. Uh, is that what you would expect from a historical political perspective? Or what do you think classism looks like in this world? Well, I mean, I think that's interesting because, you know, all societies under pressure, and I'm thinking principally war here, but all societies under pressure. I think Mark Galliotti, I was listening to his podcast on Russia and Ukraine the other day, which is a, a very good podcast. And he says, he described it as all societies in war become authoritarian socialism. And, you know, that that is very, very true. So I'm not sure that classism is the right way to, to put it. It reminds me more of the nomenclatura system in the Soviet Union, where you had like a very defined set of privileges for people based on their role within society. Well, isn't that cla- classism? Well, no, I wouldn't say that's classism. It's only classism if that is inherited, if that role in society is passed down from one generation to the next to the next. That's my understanding of it anyway. So that it, it becomes ingrained. It's not based on performance of a specific but, task. But don't you think, OK, so for instance, classism, yes, is going to be a difference between like in England, obviously, this comes up a lot, the old money versus the nouveau riche. But still, the nouveau riche can achieve a new class within one generation, right? But yeah, I suppose that's true. Like I say, the historical parallel that struck me most firmly was the, the nomenclatura um, system yeah. in the, in okay, the Soviet yeah. Union, where you had basically the, the senior officials in the Communist Party and sort of industry got access to a much better standard of living than the ordinary working class, ironically, in a society that was, you know, sold. Right on the basis of being classless. And I think you sort of see that a little bit in Silo. Mm. There is kind of a sense of, you know, listening to Holston, listening to Bernard, Bernard, sorry, that were, mm-hmm. that this is supposed to be an egalitarian society and it's supposed to be a society where everybody has their defined role and their defined responsibility. But actually what you find out is that the people, certain people doing certain jobs have access to privileges that other people don't. Yeah. No, that's I think that's a good parallel. I also think about from, you know, a psychological perspective, um, just how humans are always looking for the in group and the out group. And so, yeah, maybe you have no use for racism or sexism, but uh, you're still looking for who do I blame for the things that go wrong in my life? Yeah. I mean, the, the other thing to, to say about that is I wonder whether then this may be this may be getting a little bit too abstract, but I wonder whether you would have like a whole new set of cleavages opening up i'm thinking particularly about the people who are allowed to have children and the people that aren't you know and also presumably you'd have issues with the people the people that worked in agriculture would would have better access to food than Mm. people that didn't simply because they had the ability to filch it so i wonder whether you're going to get a lot of antagonism between people on different levels because those people will have differential access to certain resources that's uh, some good wondering there <laughs> okay okay so a headliner chicago on youtube uh had another great interview this time with uh, chinaza uche who plays paul billings and i know you and i both watch this and yeah he talks about common just breaking out into freestyle on set which sounds awesome <laughs> um but also how juliet challenges some of his ideas on the show uh luke where are you expecting this paul character to fall on like the bernard to juliet spectrum like where do you, <laughs> where uh, do you think <laughs> tm i think i think that's 
that's going to be we, once we actually oh, start. We've we've already established there's animosity between the two of them. Do you think? Yeah, once, once, do, you, once, do you think he's allied with one or the other, or that he's like a neutral third party or somewhere in the middle? I really don't know. I think that's going to be something we're going to have to find out by mm. by actually watching the series. But I yeah. think I think when we do start watching the series, I think that's going to be a weekly feature <laughs> as new characters are introduced. We've got the Bernard Juliet scale. <laughs> Yeah. Where does everybody fit on that scale? Yeah, I think that's a fair way to evaluate people. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, Uche also talks about them digging into the details not explored in the books, which is exciting. And also how the set had like fully working everything, including working showers in the apartments. Uh, so the attention to detail sounds insane. And of course, Rebecca Ferguson, she continues to be a star in all of the interviews with everybody gushing about her, talking about how real she is and how she's always like ribbing everyone on set. And when she herself gushes about like the importance of lifelong learning, it's hard not to have a crush. Uh, I don't know. What about you? Do you have? Yeah. Ever- the one thing I haven't seen and talked about a lot, um, and maybe you've seen this, is I wonder how she like. Because uh, I have the same issue with Pedro Pascal at the moment. How do they fit all this in between yeah. this and Dune? Because I can't imagine that Dune Part Two is, you know, a, a, is is a picnic to film. I just like with Rebecca Ferguson, Pedro Pascal. I just where do they have time to eat and sleep and you know just be in the world? I mean, all I can say is long production schedules. But I do also know that some Mission Impossible fans are, are a bit nervous about her character's future in that franchise. So, yeah, I, yeah, I've forgotten about that as well. Yeah. It's like, seriously, she, where do you find yeah. this weird time? All the reviews say she's going to be even more in demand after this. So yeah, okay. well good for her good for her she'll yeah she'll sleep when she dies i guess (laughs) (laughs) but anyway yeah anyone who wants to dive more into these interviews and reviews i again recommend digging into the official silo series fan group on facebook and the silo tv fans account on twitter Uh, but do be careful some of the reviews have spoilers as for us we'll be fading from your ears like illegal relics from the past from the silo history books nice Um, (laughs) nice But May 5th is coming soon, and we'll see you on the other side. Uh, We'd love to hear your thoughts and opinions about the first two episodes. Please leave your comments on this episode on the website, silotvpodcast.podbean.com, or get in touch on Twitter at AliciaCB or... Just Luke Midup, all capital letters. Uh, please get your comments in before Sunday the 7th to be included in the recording. Until oh, then, we have, yep. a, we have a Discord. Oh, thank you. Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, the Lorehounds podcast, which I definitely recommend to everyone who likes to get in deep with geek television. I also appear on there, as I've mentioned before, in several episodes. Uh, but they've been kind enough to give us our own channel on their Discord. So I will be putting that in the show notes uh, so that you can join us there and talk about Silo and also yeah jump into all the other conversations about star wars and the mcu and ted lasso and uh, all the other different things but until next week when we next week when we actually have actual the first two episodes to review we will really actually, excited we will actually be seeing inside the silo until then bye bye A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series, The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond.